the content found on thebestdayever.com from David Wolf and New Horizon Health, Inc. is for informational purposes only and is in no way intended as medical advice, as a substitute for medical counseling, or as treatment cure for any disease or health condition, and nor should it be construed as such because that would be illegal. Always work with a qualified health professional before making any changes to your diet, supplement use, prescription drug use, lifestyle, or exercise activities. Please understand that you assume all risks from the use, non-use, or misuse of this information. Welcome, everyone. This is your host, Lucian Gothier, and I am here with Dr. Dave Wojnarowski, affectionately known as Dr. Dave around these parts. Dr. Dave has been a featured presenter at our Longevity Now conferences and has delivered extraordinary explanations into how to attain optimal health. Dr. Dave is an MD, and he's here today to talk to us about smart tips for a healthy heart. Dr. Dave, it's so great to have you. Welcome. Thanks, Lucian. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And Dr. Dave, the purpose of this interview is to give our new listeners a chance to hear you. You'll be speaking at the upcoming Longevity Now conference, May 3rd through 5th, at the Orange County Hilton in Costa Mesa, California, and also to give our long-term listeners tips on what they can do to improve their cardiovascular system, their heart health, and to get everyone on the same page, you're an MD, but you're also an alternative doctor. When we use the phrase heart disease, what exactly are we talking about? What is it that we're referring to? Well, I think there's three main issues with heart disease, and, and the first is the thing that most people recognize, and that's the heart attack or the uh, heart disease that's caused by blocked arteries. In medicine, we just call it ischemic heart disease because what happens is the arteries get narrow and the muscle that's fed by those arteries begins to get sick and it doesn't get enough blood and it begins to give you symptoms. Sometimes the symptoms uh, are very sudden, like a heart attack, and that can happen when there's a clot in the arteries. So Arterial vascular heart disease or ischemic heart disease is the one that most people recognize. Again, chest pain, heart attack. But there are two other uh, worthwhile things we should talk about when we talk about heart disease because the older our population gets and the sicker our population gets, the more we see of those. And one is a, a growing concern among uh, physicians uh, and healthcare professionals, and that's congestive heart failure. And this is where the heart fails as a pump. Um, this can take uh, place in the presence or the absence of a clogged artery. So it's not always necessarily uh, related to clogged arteries, although it can be a, a, a by, byproduct of that. Um, there are certainly some people out there whose arteries are not fully clogged to the point where you'd expect them to have uh, a heart attack, and yet they have congestive heart failure. So uh, it is a separate entity that keeps company with age and keeps company with ischemic heart disease, but not necessarily related. And then the third um, is this condition of irregular heartbeats, and there are, are a couple different types. And there's one that's very common called atrial fibrillation. That's where the top part of the heart kind of goes nuts and beats at a very rapid, uncontrolled rate. And that can lead to congestive heart failure. It can also lead to heart attacks, but it can exist in young people uh, with other conditions. Uh, it can exist in young people with uh, what they call accessory bypass tracts, which is where uh, there are actual um, electrical uh, circuits that don't belong there that develop. Um, and it can exist uh, in a whole series of other conditions. Similarly, the bottom part of the heart uh, can also kind of go wild, and that's called ventricular fibrillation. Um, that is more of a condition that you see in older people, and there's a significant number of older people walking around with uh, what we call implantable defibrillators to uh, interrupt that condition because it can certainly be deadly. Um, of the three, of course, as I mentioned, the, the blocked artery one is the one that most people are concerned about. It's by far the most common, although congestive heart failure is gaining, and um, 
It is also in terms of the number of lives it claims and uh, illnesses it causes. It's by far the most common of the three. And Dr. Dave, you sort of live in both worlds. You're an MD, of course, but you're also an alternative doctor. You use nutrition, you use exercise, you use all sorts of holistic protocols to get people healthy, to address their health concerns. What do you see as the distinction between what you would call the contributing causes of heart disease or heart problems and what the modern medical establishment would their sort of answer to that would be? What would they say are the causes? And is there a difference? Do you think there's a big distinction there? I do. And uh, you know, it's interesting because I've been around long enough to, um, to sort of look for changes in medical thinking. And really, they're just beginning to be changes in what we would call traditional allopathic medical thinking. And so I think in general, most times, um, you know, you hear about cholesterol, you hear about saturated fat and that sort of thing. And I, I really think that the, there's a, a lot of misplaced energy and a lot of misplaced funding and a lot of misplaced diagnostic uh, uh, work put into the way we look at heart disease. Um, and this has been the case solution for 30 or 40 years. The, the main issues, the, the reason that uh, most doctors will tell you that you get heart disease is primarily because of the cholesterol. And uh, one of the things that I can say unequivocally, if you look at the, the uh, three causes that I talked about above, those things are really, they have in common inflammation. So uh, I would call almost everything you see happening in the heart an inflammatory condition. I wouldn't call it uh, a necessarily condition of uh, cholesterol clogging arteries. Um, I think that cholesterol clogs arteries because of inflammation. Um, I think the main cause of heart disease, and that would include most of the, the conditions that I described above, there, there's three that I want to talk about. The first one is diet, the second one is diet, and the third one is diet. Um, in some other order, then I think you could go down and say, okay, lack of physical exercise, high stress, lack of sleep, and somewhere at the very, very bottom of the list is the one that a lot of people think of, especially physicians think of, and that is clinical genetic predispositions towards heart disease. Almost all the conditions uh, that I mentioned above, the, the top three causes of heart disease, blocked arteries, congestive heart failure, and irregular heartbeats, have some representation of inflammation. And my feeling is that we have an inflammatory diet in our population. And if you look at populations that have an extremely low incidence of, of heart disease, um, independent of other risk factors, and that includes um, they can be obese, they can be hypertensive, they can have high cholesterol, and they get almost no heart disease, and by the way, they almost get no cancer. These are populations who have very high ratios of omega-3 fats in their diets to omega-6 fats. So for the people who aren't uh, clear on what that means, omega-3 fats are the anti-inflammatory fats, and omega-6 are the um, inflammatory fats. Now, we also call them good and bad, just like we call cholesterol good and bad. So a lot of people will say, well, the omega-3 are the good fats, and the omega-6s are the bad fats. That's not really accurate because if they were in balance, if they were uh, equal or uh, close to equal, you wouldn't have these issues. So if you look, for instance, at the Eskimo population, I think about 15 months ago there was a study released. I just call it the Fat Eskimo Study. And basically, they looked at Eskimo population that had a very high ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. It was greater than 1 to 1. It was probably about 0.8 uh, to 1, which meant that there was about 20% more omega-3 in the diet than there was omega-6. Generally speaking, these people had high blood pressure. Um, they were overweight, and they had high cholesterol, and they had almost no 
heart disease. So I think we're really looking at uh, an issue of diet and inflammation in all three of these conditions. Um, the second condition, congestive heart failure, also looking at what I call mitochondrial failure, but that is often caused by inflammation, excess inflammation in the diet as well as the aging process, which is, of course, accelerated by inflammation. So again, inflammation, 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 diet, diet, diet. That's the main thing that I think uh, that we can do. And if you, again, there are plenty of populations you can study that have these um, better ratios of omega-3 uh, to omega-6. And we just don't focus on that. Um, the traditional thinking, of course, is that uh, cholesterol is a problem. And I think when we get to the next uh, issue uh, of uh, medical myths, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So, Dr. Day, let me ask you this. Do you think modern medicine is changing the way it's thinking because of the education that their patients are getting into some of these alternative therapies, natural medicine, nutrition, and so forth? Or do you think they're changing their opinions based on raw scientific data? A little bit of both. I think modern medicine is um, as much subject to the uh, pressures of the social networking and the Internet as is anything else, and that's for better or worse because we consider ourselves scientists and we want to remain scientific and objective about what we do. We, we don't want to be swayed by public opinion, but I'll tell you the truth. Uh, there's no way you can't be, especially when you're in primary care. You have lots of people coming in. They're getting an education. They want to know answers to these questions. And you can't just roll your eyes and shrug your shoulders anymore. Maybe 10 years ago, you could get away with that. But nowadays, you have to have the answers for your patients. And some of these questions are extremely valid. And the problem with the Internet social networking, of course, is that there's as much nonsense as there is real fact. But you, your job as a physician is also to educate those people uh, as to what they're hearing and what they're reading because they're going to believe you more than they're going to believe the Internet in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases. So um, the next thing you have to do is try to educate your peers, and that's the hard part. Uh, a lot of doctors are still stuck in the status quo. A lot of um, livelihoods are based on status quo interventions, waiting till a person gets sick and then intervening with uh, some heroic measure. And we're very fortunate to have those kinds of things. But we could avoid an awful lot of that if we would focus more on what we put in our bodies. So in answer to your question, definitely there's social pressure, there's uh, Internet pressure, there's all these pressures that come from the outside for the physician to educate themselves. But there's also this really solid, deep status quo kind of behavior of the allopathic, that's a traditional MD physician, that is really hard to change. So we're kind of stuck in the middle. The science continues to be ignored. The science, especially on these omega-3 fats, has been around since the 70s and has just done nothing but grow. And here again, general population has, has made us aware of this. Um, you know, I started with omega-3s a long, long time ago, but most physicians didn't. Now, the omega-3 is the most popular supplement uh, probably in the world. Um, but that was not the case, you know, 15 years ago. I can tell you stories about how I had to sit in front of different panels of physicians and defend myself uh, against uh, some rather deep personal attacks um, that came because of my uh, belief in this and because of the science that I produced. So we have a long way to go, Lucian. We have a long, long way to go, and there's also all kinds of you know, political and financial reasons why this is slow to change. But the good news is the world is learning uh, in, spite of, uh, in spite of our behavior as physicians, and it's learning faster sometimes than we learn. And in the case of the omega-3 fats, this is a classic example. There are people out there taking these by the millions, and they're not waiting to have a heart attack. They're not waiting to, to have the doctor tell them to do it. 
All right, so now moving on to the myths about heart disease. What are some of the myths that you hear most commonly, and what are some of the myths that we can dispel here in this call? Sure. Well, I think I want to start with one that I hear an awful lot. Um, it may not be the same as that you know the general pop population hears, but um, the biggest myth I want to dispel is this: um, these inflammatory diseases, you know, specifically heart disease today, but all the other inflammatory diseases, which would include cancer and Alzheimer's. Um, that they have a large genetic component for most people. There are people out there with uh, bad genes, so to speak. There are people out there with a, a bad epigenome. That's the stuff that sort of surrounds the genes and determines which ones are red. Um, but for the most part, you have control over a lot of that. Now, once again, one out of 100 people is going to have some sort of genetic predisposition. But in medicine, we tend to focus on that. We tend to use that as representative disease. And it usually isn't. And most of the time, we have a lot more control. I've usually used the, the uh, number 80%, uh, 80% control over what happens to us. So in the grand scheme of things, genetically predisposed heart disease is fairly rare. Most heart diseases are caused by dietary choices, the lack of omega-3, and some of the other uh, risk factors we talked about, exercise, lack of exercise, stress, lack of sleep. Um, these kinds of things are much more important in determining the fate for most people. Um, same thing with congestive heart failure. Uh, when you look at it as a, uh, a medical disease, we don't have a lot of good allopathic, again, MD treatments for it. We can use a diuretic, which is something that gets rid of water. We can use what's called a positive inotrope. It's just something that makes your heart squeeze. But we don't treat mitochondrial dysfunction because it's not generally or globally recognized as the problem. This is another myth that needs to be uh, looked at. This is not, you know, we looked at this disease and we said, we just, we just don't know what causes it. And that's because we haven't looked at mitochondrial function. Over in Japan, they believe this is a mitochondrial dysfunction disease related to aging and, of course, to, you know, inflammation and high blood pressure and some of the other problems that go along with it. But they use uh, CoQ10, for instance, to treat congestive heart failure. In the U.S., we don't use that at all. So that, that's the kind of thing I think we need to, to really look at. Um, what causes these illnesses and what we can do to, to uh, get around them preventatively, not waiting until the dam breaks and then trying to stick our fingers in it. Um, let's talk about saturated fats and cholesterol solution because this is a biggie. Um, the role of saturated fats, if you look at the data, and believe me, I've looked at this a lot over the past couple of years, um, in spite of this you know, campaign against saturated fats, especially natural dietary saturated fats, of which there are a couple we should talk about, um, Really, it's not clear what happens to, to the arteries um, and to our blood vessels when we take saturated fat. What is clear is that when we take man-made saturated fat, hydrogenated fat, trans fat, bad things generally happen. But there are a couple instances that um, the natural uh, saturated fats, for instance, aloric acid found in coconut oil, this is a short-chain fat. And uh, the reason I bring this up, Lucian, is because I mentioned this word mitochondria, uh, congestive heart failure. Uh, another mitochondrial disease, if you ask me, uh, inflammatory also, inflammatory mitochondrial disease is Alzheimer's disease. And if you look at the, uh, some of the interesting data on using these short-chain fats like lauric acid from coconut oil, in early Alzheimer's disease, you see some rather remarkable, although anecdotal, that means that you know someone's telling you the story. They're not actually studied yet to the degree they should be studied, but it's getting there. We're beginning to study these things. If you use those short-chain fats in Alzheimer's, you start to see people improve. They get better because you're giving the mitochondria the fat that it likes to convert into the energy source of sugar for the brain. Same thing with congestive heart failure. 
Now, lauric acid, even though it's a saturated fat, doesn't really do much to cholesterol. It may raise it a little bit, but it certainly doesn't increase heart disease. So if you look at populations that consume a lot of coconut oil, they don't get heart disease. So that's very, very interesting. You know, that's an, another thing, um, you know, the myth that all saturated fats cause uh, elevated cholesterol. There's another one out there called stearic acid. It's a little bit longer in terms of its chain length. And this one's found in meat, eggs, chocolate, stuff like that. It's cholesterol neutral, and it's actually anti-inflammatory solution. It actually raises your good cholesterol. So uh, the other thing I would say is that populations that consume a lot of these and don't have heart disease also have concomitant high levels of omega-3 fats. So here, here we go again with the anti-inflammatory versus inflammatory thing. So uh, when you combine those, those good saturated fats with high levels of omega-3s, they don't, nothing bad happens. If you look at Eskimos, if you look at traditional Japanese fishing village populations, including those on Okinawa. Uh, again, I mentioned Okinawa because a lot of people have read the Okinawa diet and know that these people live a long time. Um, they tend to live very long. They tend not to have uh, any problems from elevated cholesterol if they have elevated cholesterol. Another population is the coastal Mediterranean area. These people are consuming the right kinds of oils and the right kinds of fats, and they're not getting into trouble. So that's my, my stand on saturated fats. Cholesterol is a big one. Uh, this is a huge myth. I think it's just a distraction. You've got drug companies that have made billions of dollars from it. We have all, we mean doctors, MDs, DOs, et cetera, healthcare professionals, we've had all kinds of education uh, programs from drug companies. Uh, we, we educated our patients, you know, what is your cholesterol, what's your good cholesterol, what's your bad cholesterol. Really what we should be asking them is what's the level of inflammation in your body? So let's look at cholesterol for a second. I, I think it's a distraction, and I think that the cholesterol itself is actually just a decorative molecule. A lot of people, when they talk about good and bad cholesterol, what they really mean is good HDL cholesterol and bad LDL cholesterol. So the, part, the problem with this is, is it's not the LDL molecule and the HDL molecule are not just cholesterol. They're actually what we call lipoproteins. So lipo means fat, that's the cholesterol part. And then protein is the other thing that we just sort of thought was a carrier. But what really turns out is that these proteins are, are um, inflammatory. They're enzymatic protein complexes um, that are associated with these cholesterol molecules. They just happen to carry them along with them. But the bad LDL cholesterol has an inflammatory protein complex with it. And the good HDL is anti-inflammatory. The protein complex with that is, is anti-inflammatory. So really, this cholesterol that's decorating these proteins is not the problem. It's the proteins themselves. And so the real cause, in my opinion, of heart disease is the release of free fatty acids, which are inflammatory from the liver. These inflammatory lipoproteins, the LDL molecules, um, which can get oxidized more or less just by hanging around these other inflammatory fats. And another key thing that has to be mentioned is the release factor for these um, inflammatory fats. So number one, it's what you put in your diet, how much inflammation you get, and number two, how much you eat at one sitting. Because if you sit there with a large bolus of food, that's what dumps this inflammatory fat out into your system. So you have two compounding problems. Number one, much too high an intake of inflammatory fats like omega-6s, and number two, much too big a calorie intake at one sitting. And the combination of those things 
releases inflammatory free fatty acids, inflammatory um, cholesterol molecules, LDL molecules, and they go out and they start doing damage to these uh, arteries in the heart and these areas in the heart that are susceptible or vulnerable, primarily due to the way they're structured. We have some sort of design flaws, if you will, in our heart. And when you have a high-pressure system and you have a tight artery in it, it can get roughed up, so to speak, pretty easily. And then when you dot your whole system with these inflammatory fats, they will find these roughed up spots and they will do damage. And over years, they will cause clogging of that artery. But again, it's the combination of too many inflammatory fats in the diet and too much food at one time. That's really, might be one of what causes this ischemic or blocked artery heart disease. 